Good to see you guys. So glad you're here today. I trust that, uh, that you're glad you're in the house of the Lord. Anybody glad to be in the house of the Lord? Anybody at all? Well, let me ask you this. How, how many of you made it Friday night and we're glad you made it Friday night to the night of worship? Was that powerful or what? If you didn't make it, I'm so sorry you missed out on it. You're going to want to do the next one. It was just a powerful night together, and uh, we had a great time. My voice is still a little bit sore and hoarse from, uh, from uh, praising the Lord and singing at the top of my lungs, but it was just a wonderful time together. For those of you that are new, we're in a series that we've been calling Church Is, and we've been talking about uh, this whole idea that there are stereotypes that have uh, somehow along the way gotten attached to the church, whether we earned them or not, uh, they're still there. Uh, and and the result is that quite often when we try to invite somebody to church, they kind of go, eh, you know, I'd be glad to talk about God, talk about religion, talk about that kind of stuff, but please don't make me go to church because, and they, then they come up with these stereotypical ideas as to why they don't like the church. And so what we've been trying to do is identify what those things are, asking ourselves honest questions about is there something we've done to earn that reputation? And far more importantly, is there anything we can do to remove that obstacle so that whether they come or not, uh, at least we're not the ones that are blocking them. We're not standing in the way of the coming and being a part of the family of God because we believe everybody needs a church family to be a part of. So just to refresh your memory, and for those of you that knew, kind of get our wheels turning, George Barnett did this research across the nation, and he discovered that there were four or five things that, uh, that people commonly said. First of all, uh, well, you know, I really don't want to go to church because church is full of hypocrites. And they had this kind of idea about hypocritical Christians. So we talked very honestly about what that means and what we need to do to combat it. The second thing they discovered is this idea that church only cares about my money. They're the only reason they want me there because they got a budget to fill. And again, we've earned that reputation in some ways. So we addressed that one honestly uh, as well. Last week, we talked about this idea, well, you know, church is just a building, just an event, just something you go to. So I can be a Christian without going to church. I don't really need that. And we talked about that reality that church is not a building, it's not an event, it's not even an it, it's a we, we are the family of God. And we talked about that a little bit last week. Next week, we're going to talk about this idea that churches are unfriendly, and I disagree with that one wholeheartedly because I think church people are the friendliest people on the planet. The problem is that we tend to be friendly to each other. Right? We get into our little holy huddles, and we don't even see the other people. we got our friendships, we got our comfort zones, and we tend not to break it. And heaven forbid someone come and sit in the place where we usually sit, because that's my chair. That's where I've been sitting for two weeks, and I want that chair. You know, we get settled in pretty quickly, and we can find ourselves being unfriendly without even realizing that we're going to address that one heads up next week as well. Today, I want to continue that dialogue around this idea of church not being a building, not being an event, in fact, being a family. But I want to look at it from a different lens. I want to look at it from the lens of why is church so important? Okay, I get it. It's a family. Uh, it's, it's a network of gifts and talents. It's, it's a group of ambassadors for Christ that go out into the world. But, but why is that so important in our lives? And I think the reason comes down to Jesus' words in John chapter 10, verse 10. If you've got your Bible, you can flip there. You can go to the Bridge NC app and download that and pick it up there. Uh, or you can just look at the screens. Let's read it together. I've given it to you in the North Carolina version uh, or whatever that stands for. New Century is what that is. Let's read it together. Okay, one, two, three, go. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. So the idea is that Jesus 
said, I, I, I didn't come to give you an institution to prop up or an organism to, to support. I came to give you what? Life. And what kind of life? This kind of fulfilling kind of life. So here's the question. Uh, any of you know anybody that ha that's alive but they don't really have a fulfilling life? Anybody know anybody like that? Can I ask it this way? Anybody know any Christians that have a life but they don't necessarily have a fulfilling one? And yet that's what Jesus promised he would give. So how do we find that fulfilling life? What I want to do in the time we've got today is I want to, I want to challenge us to think. Maybe it's going to be revolutionary for some of you. Maybe it's I'm preaching to the choir. But I want to challenge us to think that our job as part of the church is not to build the church. It's not our job. Nothing we ever do is about building a church. Nothing we ever go after is about building a church. That's not our job. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. What's our job? Our job is to help the people who become a part of the church. What if instead of developing churches, we focused on developing people? What if instead of developing organisms and organizations and institutions and lists of do's and don'ts and legalisms and all that, instead of doing all that stuff, what if we just helped people to find the fulfilling life? What if we actually became the kind of church that God called us to be? Because I believe with everything in me, the reason God brought the church into existence is to be a needs-meeting organism. That, that's the reason we exist, is to meet the needs of the people that are here and to attract more people to become a part of it, and when they do, help them uh, by helping them meet their needs so that we can find the fulfilling life. Is, is it making sense? So if it is, then let's just walk through it. What I want to do is I want to show you the four basic human needs that every human being has. You can ask any psychologist, psychiatrist, educators know this. Ask anybody that works in the, in the field of people. Pastors often know this. Uh, these are the four basic needs that every human being has. And then I want to show you in just a very few minutes how the church is supposed to be operating in order to meet those needs. And here's what I believe with everything in me, that if we'll become a needs-meeting organism, then not only will this church continue to grow and reach more people, but in fact you will find the fulfilling life that Jesus promised. Is that worth a few minutes of our time? Then let's get into it and let's talk simply about the four basic human needs that we all have and then how is the church designed to walk through it, okay, or to help you get there, okay? No, need number one is we all need support. We all need support. Anybody agree with me that traditional support systems have kind of gone away over the last generation or so? There was a day when, you know, we all lived in the same neighborhood for three generations, and, and if you need something, you called Mama, and if Mama went there, you called Grandma. You went to Grandma's house for lunch on Sunday after church. I mean, it just had this whole support mechanism around you, and I guess some of you probably still have that, but the vast majority of Americans don't have that anymore because we've become this incredibly mobile society. In 1900, 85% of Americans lived in the country and 15% lived in the city. In 1990, 85% of Americans lived in a city and only 15% lived in the country. So we moved away. Mostly the younger generation have moved away from the small towns and the countryside kind of living in order to find jobs. They went away to college or military, and when they finished that up, they didn't go back home. They went to the city to find jobs, and the result is they left their support mechanisms 
away back home. Now, we're seeing a trend in the last few years where people are starting to move back out to the country because they're recognizing uh, that they need that support. But the bottom line is every human being needs support. Hear me, guys. God designed us that way. From the very beginning of time, Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, it is not good for man to be alone. It's the only part of the creation that God said it's not good. It's not good for man to be alone. Even Jesus demonstrated his need for people. He said, I and the Father are one, but he still gathered people around him because human beings need support. The second thing we need is stability. We need this sense of stability. Alvin Toffler wrote a book called uh, Future Shock. He was a futurist. And one of the things that he talked about in, in modern society is this. I put a quote up on the screens for you. Here we go. Everyone needs islands of security and a rapidly changing society. Things that don't change. Principles that stay the same. Something you can rely on. We all need stability and we need something that we can depend on to hang on to for that stability. Now here's the problem. Barna, the guy who does this research, says that 74% of Americans now no longer believe, no longer believe, no longer believe in absolute truth. In fact, he discovered that 53% of professing Christians no longer believe in absolute truth. And we've kind of come to this day in modern society where we've got this idea that I have my truth, but you have to find your truth. Well, thank you for telling me what your truth is. Now I have to go and discover what my truth is. And, I, and I'm here to tell you guys that, that you can buy into that theology, that, the, that idea if you want to, but one plus one will always equal there's some things that are true, and, and if you don't, you convince yourself that that's not the case, then count on being insecure. Count on a lack of stability in your life. That's the reality of what happens. James chapter 1, verse 6 through 8, the one who doubts is like the wave of a sea blown and tossed by the wind. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all he does. Why? Because there's, there's no confidence that he can hang his hat on or depend on for his stability. So every human being needs what? He needs support. He needs stability. The thir third need of every human being is, is we have a need for self-expression. We have this need to, to, to take the mix of gifts and talents and abilities that we've been blessed with and, and, and get them out. We, we need an outlet for them. If you start bottling up your creativity, bottling up your abilities, then things start shutting down for you. Again, there's a problem in our society, and that is that we used to be in what's called the industrial age where we made stuff, and we've changed in the last generation to the information age where all we really do is sit at a computer and pass information from one place to another. Well, we just don't make stuff anymore. So if you've got a gift with, with creativity, if you've got a gift with music, if you've got a gift with, with craftiness, if you've got a gift with building things, wh what's your outlet for that? Because if you stifle it, there's no way that you ever find that satisfaction, that fulfillment in life. Bottom line, there is no satisfaction without self-expression. Psalm 139, verse 14. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. It's amazing to think about. Your workmanship is marvelous, the psalmist wrote. So what happens if all this marvelous, amazing stuff gets bottled up and there's no outlet for it? It becomes a pressure cooker in our lives. We need support. We need stability. We also need self-expression. 
The fourth need that every human being has is, is we need a sense of significance. We need a sense that, that there's more to life than, than go to work, pay the bills, retire, and die. We've got to have this sense that there's purpose and meaning, that there's something worthwhile coming out of our lives. And, and, and there is a very good book. It's an excellent book on midlife crisis that you might want to pick up sometime. The author of the book reached kind of past his middle age and looked back on his life, and, and he realized that he'd accumulated a lot of wealth, uh, and, and he was quite famous. He was really well-known uh, all over the world. Um, but he realized that none of it had any significance whatsoever. None of it had any meaning at all. And he decided that his life was just kind of hollow and empty. And so he wrote this book. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's called Ecclesiastes. Have you heard of that, that book? The author's name was Solomon, who was the wealthiest of his day, the most famous of his day. And yet he wrote in Ecclesiastes 2.11, When I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, what does it say? Everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. From my perspective, one of the greatest tragedies of our day is that we've got a generation of people that are giving first-class allegiance to second-class causes and wondering why their lives are not fulfilled. But that's not just this generation. In my dad's generation, it was Nazism that almost took over the planet. In my generation coming along, it was communism that almost took over the planet. Nowadays, millennials look like they're trying to embrace socialism, and it's sweeping the planet. Countries that are trying it aren't doing very well, but, you know, that's what happens. So there's always this ism that people attach to that doesn't eternally fulfill that need for significance in your life, and yet we'll align to it, we'll connect to it, even though it ultimately fails us. That's what happens. Support. Stability, self-expression, significance, those are, those are the four basic human needs that every human being has. Now, before we talk about how the church is designed to meet that, I need to say one more thing, and I need you to get this, okay? I said these are basic human, what do I call them? Needs. I didn't say wants. I didn't say would be nice to haves. I said needs. What's the difference between a need and a want? I want cherry cheesecake. I need food. You see the difference? I need air. What happens if you don't get air? You die. I need water. What happens if you don't get water? You die. Needs are things you're going to do. You're going to fight to have somehow because you need them. Not would like to have them. Cool if you had them. You need those things. And so hear me, guys. These are the four basic human needs for every human being, and you will find yourself either clamoring for them or living this kind of empty, hollow, dissatisfied, unfulfilled life because those needs are not met in your life. Where do you go to get them met? Where do you go to get those needs met? I'm convinced that God brought the church into existence to meet those needs. Some people go to their career to meet those needs, and, and you may get some of them met in the workplace. You may well get some of them met in, the, in what you do for a living, but careers change and jobs change. You know, the average baby boomer my generation changed careers six times. Not jobs, careers. 90% of people that graduated from college right now are not working in the field that they majored in when they went to school. Things change. 
And so the, the, you can, don't get stability out of your job. Well, well, I get my stability from being a parent. I love my kids and I pour into my kids. Great. That's a wonderful place to get some of your needs met, but they're going to grow up and move away and you're going to be left hollow if you're depending on them to meet all of your needs. There's got to be a place where you can go, and I'm here to tell you there is. It's called the church of the living God, the family of God, the people of God. So why is the church relevant today? Because the needs are still relevant. Why is the church needed today? Because these needs are real and the church exists in order to meet them. So how do we make sure that our church is relevant? We tend to do that superficially. Churches tend to do this superficially. We want to make sure that our music is current, right? We want to make sure that our dress style is current. We want to make sure that our building is attractive. We want to make sure that our pastor is good looking. Okay, we got that one covered. We what are you laughing at? I don't understand. We, we tend to look at this stuff superficially, but I'm here to tell you guys that at the end of the day, what makes the church relevant is none of that stuff. What makes the church relevant is that when I become a part of the church, the family of God, I not only, not only find my needs met, but I find myself helping others to find their needs met. And as we work together, we find ourselves loving as we're being loved and serving as we're being served and celebrating as we're being celebrated and finding a fulfilling life as we help other people find a fulfilling life. That's what makes the church relevant. So let's just shift gears quickly as I can. Let me walk back through those needs and let me just give you a quick glimpse into what I believe the church is supposed to be doing in order to meet those needs. So the first need was what? Do you remember? Hello, are you out there? You remember? The first need was support. How does the church meet that need? I believe the church provides a family for support. Last week we talked about this idea that the church is a family. It's not a building. It's a family. In fact, it, it, the church is not a building any more than a house. is automatically a home. The goal for every family is to have home. So what's home? By definition, what's a home? A home is a place where you let your hair down. Home is a place where you relax. Home is a place where you feel safe. That's why we struggle with so many knocks at the door surprisingly because we don't want to get our PJs off and put real clothes on again. We just, we're, kind of, we're relaxed, right? Every board game that I'm aware of on the planet, the goal of that game is what? To get to home. We grew up playing uh, hide and seek. What was the goal? You can get to home base for uh, they find you. You won, right? Tag. What's the goal? Get home. Home is that place that we all look forward to. But let's be honest, guys, not all of us have homes that we come home to at the end of the day. So I believe the church was designed and intended to be that family place where we can come. And I watch you guys. I do. I see you come in here on Sunday mornings, and you got fatigue face and frustration face and fear face. I mean, I see it. You come dragging in, you know, two minutes until service time or, or more likely three minutes after service time or, Ten minutes after service time, you've got first song people, second song people, third song people, you know. It's kind of dragging in. Oh, I'm so glad to be in church today. Aren't you glad to be in church today? It's a good place to be. I'm so glad I'm in church today. And then Jared walks out and says, get on your feet. And the first chord goes, boom. And you, it's like somebody hooks you up with spiritual jumper cables. And before you know it, you find yourself with your head up and your shoulders back. And before you know it, something's going on inside of you. That's what the church is intended to be. We had a fellow, the last church that Kim and I served, 
who was a, really no church background at all. He was up in his 50s, very successful businessman, came to the Lord. And, and uh, I, the church architect called me one day and said, Jim, I got permission from John to give you a call. I'm working with him on, on some buildings right now. And, and I got into a conversation with him, and, and he told me that he was coming to your church and that he'd given his life to Jesus. And we got into that conversation. And he, he, he gave me permission to tell you that he said, man, when he goes to, to Jim Wall's church, on Sunday, he can live the Christian life till Thursday. <laughs> he said, I'm calling to say, Pastor, you need to get him in a small group by Thursday night every week to get him over the hump so he can make it to the next Sunday. What's he saying? He said, I come in and I get inspired. I get rejuvenated. I get, get this sense that maybe I can do this after all. That's what the church is for. Psalm 47.1, come, everyone, clap for joy. Shout triumphant praises to the Lord, that's the image. Isaiah put on the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. That's, that's what the church is for. Can I, can I be honest with you guys for a minute? Can I, I'm, I'm going to, whether you give me permission or not. It's just nice to ask. Friday night came, and I really didn't feel like coming to the night of worship. It, I just I overcommitted myself this week and this weekend. There's just a lot of stuff going on. And so when I finally got home for a few minutes and I looked at the clock and went, okay, <clears throat> I've got an hour to get a shower and get cleaned up and i got to be at the church. <clears throat> it's going to be great. Uh, I don't want to be there. But it's my job, so I guess I'll go. Okay, it wasn't quite that bad. But you know what? You, get the, you, you, won't, you don't have to admit that's how you were feeling. It's okay. I know you live busy lives too. But I walked into this place, and the music cranked up, and the energy of the people. I mean, even before the service started, I could feel the atmosphere charged with the presence of the Holy Spirit. And already, I'm finding myself standing up straighter. By the time this thing was over, I didn't want to leave. In fact, I was talking with a lady yesterday who's active in another church that came Friday night to our night of worship. And, uh, and she said, man, I just really enjoyed that. It was a wonderful uh, evening, a wonderful experience. And and, and it was powerful. I said, what did you enjoy most about it? She said, mostly what I loved is when it was over, nobody wanted to leave. Pastor Ryan from our Goldsboro location came and pronounced the benediction and the prayer, and nobody left. Well, I just stayed here. So the band cranked up again, we did another song. That's just that, because why? Because there's something that happens when a family comes together that we feel strengthened, we feel supported. Psalm 22.1, I was mad when they said, let us go into the house of the Lord. Was that, was, that, was that what it says? I was sad when they said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Is that, is that what it says? What does it say? I was glad. <laughs> we get to go to church. Let's go. Looking forward to it. That's how God intended the church to be. All the way back to the beginning, Acts chapter 2, the, the birth of the church, the description of that early church. Chapter 2, verse 46, the believers met together in the temple. They ate together in their homes, happy to share their food with joyful hearts. They praised God and were liked by all the people. Every day the Lord added to those who were being saved to the group of believers. Does anybody see in that passage of Scripture uh, an obligated to be there group of people? I don't. There's an obligation. i got to go. It's Sunday morning. I don't see that at all. I see people thrilled to be there. I mean, look at the key words, happy, joyful, praise God liked, people being added, it's growing, more people are attracted to it, they want to go, they feel better because they came than they felt before they came, because they got together, that's what the church is all about, and, I, and I'm just convinced that if we will do that, 
then we continue to be a relevant church no matter what's going on in our society. The second need that we mentioned is this need for stability. And I think it's the church's job for us to provide a foundation, a firm, solid foundation that will last, that we can latch onto and set our anchors into so that we can know uh, that there is a truth out there we can depend on. We've already read James 1 that said if you're indecisive or if you're doubtful, then you're going to get tossed to and fro. So that says to me that there is no stability without a foundation. That you've got to have something that anchors your heart, anchors your mind, anchors your soul. And I'm convinced that the church does that in two ways. At least they're supposed to. I hope all churches do. I'm committed to ours doing our best to do it. First of all, I think the church does that by teaching truth. I think it's critical that the church teach the truth. Sometimes those truths are encouraging. Sometimes they make you get all fired up and excited. Sometimes those truths are challenging and make you go, oh, I better rethink how I've been doing things. But it's always the truth that you can depend on. You can count on the truth being, uh, being taught. And so we make sure that the people who teach here, the people who lead our small groups, we make sure that they understand your job is not a popularity contest. Your job is to provide a foundation in truth. Don't load it down with a bunch of tradition, but don't water it down either. Just say, here's what the book says, because this is the basis for our faith. Every way we believe, everything, every way we behave, this is the truth that we stand on, this the Word of God. 2 Timothy 3.16 says it this way. All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful for teaching, for showing people what is wrong in their lives, for correcting faults, for teaching how to live right, Using the scriptures, the person who serves God will be capable having all that is needed to do every good work. So what does that passage say? It says this is our foundation. But it's not just in a general sense. It's, it gets real specific in here. Do you see some of the key words? It says that it will teach us. In other words, it will show us, it will instruct us on the path to a fulfilling life. Then it says it will show us. Uh, when we get off the path, so it's kind of redirects us. No, if you go that way, there's no fulfilling life there. This is the way you got to go. It will correct us. It'll bring us back, challenge us to get back on the right path. And then ultimately, it's practical wisdom, how to live, how to live in a way that we can stay on the path that ultimately leads us to the fulfilling life. He describes it here as every good work. In a day when there is so much information out there. You would think people would be stable. Is it true? I find they're more confused than ever. The proliferation, easier for you to say, of information has not produced stability. The only thing that produces stability is the stable word of God that has survived the test of time. It's not current thought. It's eternal thought. Matthew chapter 5, verse 18. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. You can depend on this book speaking practical wisdom into your life. You can depend on it for stability. The second thing, though, that the church, I said the church does two things. The second thing that they do is they don't just give you the word of God to, to be your foundation, but I believe the church's responsibility is give you trusted leaders to guide you in the word of God. 
I remember a day, I'm going to show my age, I guess, but I remember a day when we only allowed ourselves to be influenced by people who proved to be knowledgeable and trustworthy before we let them influence our thinking. Am I right? Some of you remember that? Vaguely? Now, everybody on the planet has a microphone. They can tweet whatever they want. They can Facebook whatever they want. They can Instagram whatever they want. And before we know it, we find ourselves not just listening but being influenced by it. You know what one of my crazy pet peeves is? Is when Christian people see something posted in social media and it triggers something. And before you know it, they're sharing it and liking and sending it to their friends. And it isn't even true. They never even stopped to check to see if it's true. It sounded good, so they popped it out there. Please don't do that. Can I beg you not to do that, to stop and look at it and go, wait a minute, let me check this against the truth and see if it's true before I send it out there because ultimately you do more damage than good. So what's the church's job? To make sure that there are leaders in place who are trustworthy went into a bank one time. I was waiting to, to sign some papers, and I was in the waiting room out front. And, and while I was there, another lady came in to do some work, and, and I was watching the news on TV, and she asked me what was on the news, and, and it was something about a controversy in, in, in the church in America. And she said, that just goes to prove my theory. You can't trust any preachers anymore. Uh, do I keep my mouth shut, or what do I do now? And I said, well... Some of us are trying to be trustworthy. She said, oh, you a preacher? <laughs> yes, ma'am. And about that time, they called me back to the back, and so I went, and I signed my papers, and I came back out. But I went into the waiting room where she was, and I handed her my card, and I said, ma'am, I don't want to offend you, but if I could ever have the chance to earn your trust, I'd love the privilege to try. And I left her my card. She called me about two months later. Her husband was going into surgery. And we started a journey of building a relationship. Trust is earned. And what we need is trustworthy leaders who are willing to invest in other people. This church needs trustworthy leaders who will invest in other people. Every church in America does. We need them. You, if that's who you are, are a gift from God to this church. That's what the scriptures say. Ephesians 4, 11 through 14, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers, that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. Then what's the result of that? We will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves. We will finally be stable. We'll have stable marriages and stable parenting practices and stable financial lives. We will find fulfillment in our lives because of this need of stability that's come because the Word of God is the basis for our views and trusted leaders have helped us to find that truth. It's critical for every church. It's the only way we stay relevant, not because we're cutting edge in our styles, but because we're meeting basic human needs. What was the third need we talked about? Church 
needs to be a family for support, to provide support. We need to provide a foundation for stability. But we also need to be a forum for self-expression. We need to be a place where you can bring your gifts, your talents, your abilities, and express them, a dependable place where you can do that. I'm convinced self-esteem comes from service. It doesn't come from getting. It comes from giving. And, and, and so hear me, maturity in the faith is not an end in itself. God wants you to grow to the point that you can serve, but he wants you to serve so you can grow. It, it all is intertwined together. Here, here's the scripture. People miss the point when I talk about serving all the time. That they miss the point so often. Let me see if I can make it clearly here. Romans chapter 12, verses 4 through 6. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others, we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. Do you see Paul's point? Paul's saying there's only how many bodies of Christ? Just one. But how many members are there in that body? Many. And every one of those members belongs to all the others because together we form the body of Christ. Now that says to me that whatever your gifts, talents, and abilities are, they are needed. Whoa, there's a hole in the floor. They are needed in order for you to meet your own need, but also to meet the needs of the body. Let me ask it this way. If I decided not to use my gifts anymore, would you, would you suffer? Please say yes. Please say yes. <laughs> well, guess what? If you don't use your gifts in the body of Christ, I suffer. We suffer. But hear me. It's not just about that. It's not just about the body suffers when somebody doesn't use their gifts. Imagine that you were a lung and you decided, you know what, I'm not going to connect to a single body. I'm just going to jump from body to body. I'm going to serve if I want to, produce some oxygen if I want to, but I'm not if I don't. What's going to happen to that lung without blood flow? It's going to die. So, yes, the body suffers if you don't use your gifts, if you don't engage and build relationships and become a part of that functioning family and use your gifts there. Yes, the body suffers, but you ultimately lose out on the fulfilling life because you need to be able to, to express the gifts and talents that God has given you. So when I challenge you to join a serve team, it's not just because the church needs you. We do. But ultimately, it's because you need to express your gifts. Finally, and I'll, I'll hush, is the church needs to provide a focus for significance. We all need this sense that we're doing something worthwhile with our lives, something that has value beyond us, that we're doing something that has, that has meaning, significance beyond us. Matthew chapter 28 1920, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey everything that I have commanded you. What could possibly have more significance than emptying hell and populating heaven? Teaching people the truths of God's word so that they find the fulfilling life that Jesus promised. What could possibly give you more significance than that? i got to close. If you'll indulge me, I want to close just on a personal note because as I thought about how to share this, this is where my mind went. I, I'm one of those blessed people who has a profound Christian heritage. My grandmother was the final living charter member of the church that I grew up in. 
I've got a plaque on my office wall that, where they named her the mother of the church. That's my heritage. My mother taught Sunday school for 50 years until she simply wasn't able. She was in her mid-80s and still filled in teaching Sunday school times. That's my heritage. I was rocked in a holiness cradle. <laughs> they tell me that I went to church for the first time when I was 10 days old. I'm not sure I've missed 10 Sundays since in my 60 none of your business years. I've been in church all my life. I've heard some really, really good sermons. I've heard some that probably needed a little more work. <laughs> I've heard some fantastic singers. I've heard some that probably should discover their gifts somewhere else. <laughs> I've been in some really nice facilities. We're blessed with a nice one here, right? Amen? I've worshipped in some Nipa huts and lean-tos. At the end of the day, none of that stuff is what makes church significant. None of it. You know what makes it relevant to me and this whole idea of a fulfilling life? Is I look back over my life and every major decision I ever made, I made it in church. I gave my life to Jesus Christ in a church service. I accepted a call to become a pastor in a church service. I met Kim singing in church. I asked her to marry me in church. I passed a note down the aisle <laughs> that gave her a date and said, you know, that's a good date to get married. Accepted the call to the Philippines as a missionary, sitting in church listening to a sermon. We made the decision to move back to Goldsboro three years ago in church. You understand what I'm saying? Every major decision of our lives happened while we were in relationship with the body of Christ, the family of God, worshiping together. That's been the defining characteristic of our 43 years of marriage. And I am where I am, doing what I'm doing, and I hope blessing some lives in the process, finding fulfillment, because I'm part of the church. And I would beg you, challenge you, to consider your role in the church for the same reason. Fulfillment is on the other side of being a part of the family of God. Let's pray. Jesus, we know why you came. You said it clearly. I came to give life, to overcome the death that Satan is trying to bring into our lives by giving us life, but not just being alive, but actually living these fulfilled lives. So I pray right here, right now, that each one of us would reflect on where we are, not just in relationship with our lives and a sense of fulfillment, but in, in terms of where we are in relationship with you. Because the fulfilling life that we long for doesn't even begin until we start a relationship with you and then enter into a real meaningful relationship with your family, the church. So help us to make those kinds of commitments right here, right now. Whatever our other priorities are, whatever else is going on in our lives, help us to understand that fulfillment is on the other side of becoming a part of the family of God. Keep your heads bowed for just a minute. I'm, I'm going to ask you to pray one or both uh, of these prayers.
The first one is if you've never committed your life to Christ before, you've never said, I want to follow Jesus. I, I'm going to give him my life. If you've never done that, can I beg you to consider it right now, right there in your chair? Your altars will be open in just a minute. You can come pray with somebody, but, but at the very least right now, would you pray a simple prayer? Jesus, I want a fulfilling life. I want fulfillment. I want satisfaction. And I understand here and now that you're calling to me, offering what I'm looking for. So forgive me for trying to find it in places where it can't be found. Give me a fresh start in you, Jesus. And I'll thank you for the fulfilling life that comes. For others of you, you have a relationship with Jesus, but if you're honest, life isn't all that fulfilling right now. Maybe it's because you haven't fully engaged in getting your needs met by fully engaging in the body of Christ. So would you pray that prayer with me? Pray silently. I don't care. Just would you pray? Jesus, I want fulfilling life. I've given my life to you. I know that my eternity is going to be with you. But while I'm here, I want the abundant life that you promised. And I'm realizing here and now that it's on the other side of making a commitment to your family. All in, sleeves rolled up. I'm a part of the family of God. And I will love my brothers and sisters as they love me. And I will serve my brothers and sisters as as they serve me and I will celebrate what's going on in their lives, as they celebrate what's going on in mine. At the end of the day, our lives together will bring glory to you. So would you help me to reprioritize, rearrange however I need to, to become that person that you've called me to be. And then give me the quiet assurance that fulfillment is on the other side of it. Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me this morning? If you prayed one of those prayers this morning, I really would love for you to, to write something on your Connect card. You can check a box. You can write me a note. But I really want to know, so take your Connect card in your hand right now. Check a box. Do something. Write me a note. The ushers will be at the door on your way out. You can drop those off so we can pray for you this week. Nobody's going to show up at your house tomorrow and knock on the door and put you on the spot. We just want to know so we can pray for you. And if we can serve you, we want the privilege to try. Okay. If you're new to the bridge, we've got a guest gathering right outside the way. If we haven't had a chance to meet yet, I'd, I'll be over there in a few minutes. I'd love to meet you. Some of our other staff is there. We'd love for you to stop by. Love to buy you a cup of coffee, and let's meet briefly before you go. The altars are open. You can come and pray with somebody before you leave as well. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the privilege of being a part of the family of God. Thank you for the fulfilling life that comes because of that. And I pray that we would be that kind of church, that each one of us, as we commit to be a needs-meeting church, that our needs would be met in the process. And I thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. We'll see you next Sunday talking about the church is unfriendly. Come on, be friendly next week.